I'd like to share an encouragement with you today. Um, in the scriptures, the people of God uh, are often described as a vineyard or a garden. This is something I talked about at our worship night this past Thursday. That, uh, we are the garden of God. Israel was the garden of God. Judah was the garden of God. And God puts a lot of effort into his vineyard, according to scripture. In Isaiah 5, 1 to 7, this is a poem written about how God works with his people and cultivates them. It says, I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one has a, had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. This is God speaking. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge. It will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. And briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. He looked for justice and saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. There's this constant tension in the heart of God with people where he is always working and cultivating, as you see in this passage, you know, digging it up, clearing out the stones, planting in it the choicest vines. And then what people do with that work is they, they forget God. And actually, this is even worse than forgetting God. What God sees when he looks into this garden that he's put so much effort into is bloodshed for righteous people, but he hears cries of distress. You know, people hurting one another in his garden, in his vineyard. You know, destroying one another, tearing each other apart. And God says, I need to get your attention. I'm going to take away my protection. I'm going to stop cultivating you. And it's always a merciful and redemptive judgment that God gives to turn people back to him uh, in, in, his, in his heart. I got a verse for this church over a year now uh, from Micah 7.1. And this is another cry of God's heart as the, as the one who's working the vineyard. He says, ugh! It's not in the Bible, but it's there, I promise. What misery is mine? I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. And when God gave me that verse, it was in a dream, that the passage, the actual Micah 7-1 flashed in front of my eyes right before I woke up, and I didn't even know what it was. I looked it up, and, uh, and there it was. And what I heard God say is, this church, New Life, is a garden of my delight. And I am cultivating this church. I am cultivating it so it will bear much fruit, so that when I peer into my garden at New Life, that there is the choice fruit uh, that I crave, the clusters of grapes to eat, the figs, that the things that he plants in us, we are to be vigilant in, in, in listening to him and remembering, especially remembering our dependence on him in good times and bad, relying on him for all things. 
something about prayer that is true is that prayer changes us. When you pray in all circumstances, it changes you. When you pray in good times and thank God for his blessings, it changes you because you acknowledge that all good things come from God. When you pray in tragic times and times of grieving, it changes you. When you pray when the bottom comes out, it changes you. Because in all things we give thanks, in all things we pray, God changes us. God makes us a people who rightfully depend on him and don't drift away, who, who take heed of his cultivating us and don't um, take for granted all the work that he's trying to do in us. He's even trying to put a wine press in our lives. That sounds pretty good. So this is the heart of the father, the master gardener, a very common picture in the Bible. From our, from our Mission 119 reading in Hosea, it's another passage like this. This is the passage we read this past week in Hosea 10. Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, he built more altars. As his land prospered, he adorned his sacred stones. Hmm. So as God cultivated and blessed Israel, they said, oh, look at all these trees. Let's make some idols. Look at all these awesome stones and things on our, on our property. These, uh, let's, let's worship these things and thank them for blessing us. Kind of the opposite of what God was looking for, I think, when he blessed them in that way. They forgot the Lord. As their life prospered, they forgot the Lord. Their heart is deceitful, in verse 2, and now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. Then they will say, we have no king, because we did not revere the Lord. But even if we have a king, what could he do for us? They make many promises, take false oaths, and make agreements. Therefore, lawsuits spring up like poisonous weeds in a plowed field. Lawsuits, I guess, have always been like poisonous weeds in every culture and every time. The people who live in Samaria fear for the calf idol of Beth-Avon. Its people mourn over it. And so will its idolatrous priest. Those who had rejoiced over its splendor because it is taken from them in exile, it will be carried to Assyria as tribute to the great king. So these people are just grieving and mourning and wailing as they go into captivity because their calf cast gold idol is being taken away. They're just not getting the message here. They're pretty lost. Ephraim will be disgraced. Israel will be ashamed of foreign alliances. Samaria's king will be destroyed, swept away like a twig on the surface of the waters. The high places of wickedness will be destroyed is the sin of Israel. Thorns and thistles will grow up and cover their altars. Then they will say to the mountains, cover us and to the hills, fall on us. Since the days of Gibeah, you have sinned, Israel, and there you have remained. Will not war again overtake the evildoers in Gibeah? When I please, I will punish them. Nations will be gathered against them to put them in bonds for their double sin. Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh. So I will put a yoke on her fair neck. I will drive Ephraim. Judah must plow and Jacob must break up the ground. Then a surprising turn. In the midst of all this natural consequences coming upon these people for forsaking the Lord, he says, sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up your unplowed ground. It is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. God, though he might turn for a time and let people come to a place in the consequences of their sin, in the judgment for their sin, where they turn back to him, though he turns away, the heart of the Father never changes as the master gardener 
from Isaiah. The heart of the Father is the one who sings a song about his vineyard, it says in Isaiah. His loved one on a fertile hillside who cultivates, who digs it up and clears the stones himself and plants it with the choicest vines. He builds a watchtower in it and cuts a wine press as well. This, it's almost as if in this Hosea 10, 12 verse, he's saying, return to me. Return to me. Throw away your idols. Stop grieving over the golden calf, for goodness sakes. And start making decisions that allow my cultivation to take place in you again. And his, his advice to them, sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Israel was completely lost, completely hopeless, completely under this judgment. They needed a transformation and a rescue from God. And God says, in repentance, in changing your thoughts, changing your mind, and turning towards God, in breaking up unplowed ground, obeying the words that God is saying to you and heeding them, that when we do these things, when we repent and when we obey, the blessing of God begins to shine on our lives again. And so many times in my life and in your lives, you, you walk in a, in a, pretty quickly in the wrong direction. You don't even feel like going to church or talking to your Christian friends or, or cracking the Bible because you know you're not walking with the Lord. And God's after you. He says what he said to them, in repentance, breaking up the unplowed ground, in obedience to my word, there is salvation. Repentance and obedience just feels so mechanical. Like it takes, we don't like the words like obedience um, or repentance. These are heavy laden words. But let me tell you what this looks like. It's a heart bent towards loving and obeying God. It's like with a relationship between a husband and a wife. You want to find out what pleases your spouse. You desire to do what it is that would be for their flourishing and for their good. And you will go to any length to break up whatever it takes to have that intimacy with that person. You will break up your unplowed ground. Think about your relationship with your kids if you have kids. Or your siblings. The kind of love, um, the kind of heart that God is looking for from us is one who looks at God and says, what would please God? I love him. I want to obey him. Tell me what it is that would please you, God. And a heart that's bent towards turning from all the other distractions, all the other, other idols in our lives, and turning towards him. It's a relational sentence, even though it sounds quite mechanical and even cold to our modern ears. God wants to bring renewal to us. He wants to bring blessing into our lives. And he says, in order for me to do this, you need to break up your unplowed ground and obey my word. And as God sows the seeds of his word into our lives, as our heart's attitude is right towards him, we're not living in that rebellion and that closed-fisted uh, towards God. As we open ourselves to him, realizing that he is good, 
that he is the master gardener, that he is the one who delights in the garden of our lives and is planting good things in us. As we turn from our idolatry, the things that we put in place of God in our lives, we don't have golden calves or you know, precious stones anymore, at least not in your lives, probably. You might have one, I don't know. I haven't been in your house. But the gods of this age that we are, this is no exaggeration. The gods of this age in the United States of America in Saratoga Springs are alive and well, the false gods. Um, they are the god of idolizing one's own family. I'm going to do what's, I'm going to put my family before what God wants for me. Idolizing one's achievements, being a driven person, someone who idolizes work and derives their identity from what they do and how they, how they perform. Uh, one of the gods of our age is, is surely entertainment. One of the gods of our age is definitely money and finances. Our security is in money so much, wrapped up in money. Your whole life you're trying to make enough money so you can retire. <laughs> and then sometimes that's not even enough at that point for all that work. The Bible says, you know, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve, you can't serve both God and these things wholeheartedly. And God says, whatever it is for you, whatever is coming in the way of your dependence on me, of you desiring to please me with your life in your heart, God doesn't care what it looks like on the outside. He doesn't care if you come to church. He doesn't care what you do religiously. He cares about your heart and your attitude of your heart. So God says, I'm looking for a people who desire to do my will, to please me. A people that will turn from anything that is not of me if it means they can have more of me and I can have more of them. This is the, the heart of a true master gardener who delights in his garden, of a husband to a wife. That's the heart of God towards his church. That's what God is looking for from us. And what a tragedy to, to think that we are giving God the gift that he wants by all of our external practices, while at the same time withholding the affection of our hearts and worshiping other smaller gods, small g gods. God desires our hearts to turn towards him, to care less about how we appear, to care more about who we are in him. God is looking for the fruit in his garden. My favorite uh, passage about God as the gardener, which will really hit home for us who are followers of Jesus Christ. John 15, 1-17. Listen to the words of, of the Lord. He says, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. Oh, I guess Pastor Nathan didn't make that up. Cool. <laughs> um, he's so poetic and flowery. I just don't connect with that kind of language. Oh, it's in the Bible, so, you know. <laughs> I, am the, <laughs> I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. Okay, Jesus is the vine, God is the gardener. That's interesting. So now Jesus is in the garden with us. Okay? He cuts off, God cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So there's this good God gardening and cultivating, cutting away bad stuff, cutting away good stuff to make more growth come out of his people, of us. 
And Jesus says, in the midst of all that pruning, realize that you cannot bear fruit unless you're connected to me meaningfully. And what does that look like? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you might bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. How do we do that? If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Reap the fruit of unfailing love by breaking up your unplowed ground. Obedience to all of God's commands, which are summed up in this simple idea. Love God with all of your being and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes further to say, love other people the way that I loved you. Giving my life. So it's a... It's a commandment that Jesus says all the other law and the prophets hang on that commandment. In other words, if you do this commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with a heart bent towards finding out what pleases him, obeying him, turning from things that are idolatrous and keep us away from him and from flourishing, if we will seek him in that way, if we will love him in that way, and then love our neighbor as ourselves, meaning giving our life like Jesus did for us in a self-sacrificial way, then we will be his disciples. We will be meaningfully connected to the vine if we obey his command, love him, love others. And as we break up our unplowed ground, as we do a 180 from the things that we know are keeping us from the relationship with God that, that would lead to our flourishing, would lead to the flourishing of other people, busyness, personal achievement, even good things like family and children, management of our possessions and assets, entertainment, all things that are good blessings from God that are the gods of our age that everyone worships. In his book, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit, A.W. Tozer says something like, if only the people of God knew that the Spirit of God can penetrate everything in your lives, even your personality, Even the things that you're like, this is just how I am. This is who I am. The Spirit of God wants in. (laughs) And all of us have this deposit of the Holy Spirit within us. And as as we surrender our personalities, as we surrender our lives to him in in love, in obedience, in repentance, turning to him wholeheartedly, the revival, the renewal comes. It's time to seek the Lord in repentance, in obedience, For he is going to come and shower his righteousness on us, his garden. Revival is just when every heart 
in the church decides that they are going to obey God and they are going to turn from anything that keeps them from more of God, revival happens to that person. And revival happens to a group of people when everyone does that and joins together. There's an amazing passage in uh, Psalm 40 and also in Hebrews 10, which, which Psalm 40 was prophesying towards. And it says of Jesus, Here I am. It is written about me in your scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. That was Jesus' heart. Yeah. Talk about taking away the mechanical sound and the, the cold sound of the words obey and repent. This is what God's looking for in his people. Like big brother Jesus. Like our friend Jesus, the Bible teaches that he is. Here I am, God. I desire to do your will. Your name, my name is written in your book. Or the heart of Mary, the mother of God. May it be unto me as you have said. God is looking for those kinds of people. When he finds them, he rains his righteousness on them. So let's break a barn plowed ground, yielding our lives to him. And the question is, what do I need to turn from? What, what idolatry is there in my life? What, what area of my life am I not going to allow Jesus to say anything to? You know? That's my personality. That's who I am. That's how I was raised. That's my, that's my parenting style. That's, that's um, whatever it might be. God wants in. Let's welcome the Holy Spirit. Let's wait on the master vine dresser to trim back so that we can be more fruitful, to love him and love others. It's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness upon us. Father, we offer you the gift that you actually want. Because we see in your word the gift you want is a heart that is bent towards loving you, loving others, and opening every part of our life to the light of the Holy Spirit. We say you are Lord. Help us to hear your voice and to, to turn towards you and away from all, every sin that so easily entangles to run the race set out before us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here.